Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Gadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. This week, I'm joined by our UK bureau chief, Matt Smith. Hey, Matt. Hey, Devendra. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm surviving. And uh, also, our podcast producer, Ben Elman, will be chiming in this week. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hello. Sherlyn is taking a much-needed break because she uh, she basically like did several events over the law last week. So she's burned out. She's taken a rest. We are going to be diving into some uh, recent news, including the crypto crash. A lot of things have happened around the cryptocurrency industry. Both Luna and Terra USD are two, you know, two major projects that have just completely tanked and almost taken down the entire industry with them. We'll be diving into that and also some other recent news. Stay tuned for the end of this episode. I have an interview with Tim Miller and Jennifer Nelson, um, the folks behind the show Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Uh, Tim Miller, he's the guy who directed Deadpool and Terminator Dark Fate. I think he's a really talented guy. I think that show is really cool. And we had a great chat about, you know, the future of animation and kind of uh, how they want to prove that animation could be for adults, which is the thing we're still doing in 2022. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful. And, uh, you know, drop us an email at podcastengadget.com if you have any comments. We also typically do a live stream Thursday mornings around 10 a.m. Eastern. We're not doing that for this episode because uh, our live stream guy's out. He's, he's on vacation as well. Uh, but typically you can find us there. Join us and see us on video. We'll sometimes be showing off products and having Q&As and things like that. So let's dive into what the hell is going on with crypto. And this is a whole thing that started last week, apparently. So a lot of things have happened. Uh, Luna and TerraUSD, two projects uh, created by Terraform and the really like outspoken entrepreneur Do Kwan, have pretty much tanked. And they've kind of sent shockwaves throughout the crypto world. And Let's put it this way. TerraUSD was once the third most popular stablecoin, uh, which is you know a type of cryptocurrency that's supposed to be not as volatile as everything else. It, it was tied to the US dollar. Once the most third popular, valued at a peak of nearly $20 billion, now has been uh, reduced to practically nothing. And uh, TerraUSD is a really important thing because it's like it's not backed by cash or treasuries or like other assets, as the New York Times describes. It's a... Uh, it's it's like its value is based on an algorithm connected to Luna, which is if if this stuff has started to sound like a Ponzi scheme, you know, over the last few years, I feel like this is the most premier example of it. Joining us to talk about all this is Manda Farrow, co-host and producer of the Virtual Economy podcast. Manda, how's it going? It's going good. It's going, it's going good. Good. 
Okay. How how are I feel like you guys at the Virtual Economy podcast uh think a lot about the business side of video games and uh you you see more into this world than certainly we do. Honestly, we 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 get news around NFT projects a lot and I feel like our baseline response now is no NFT shit. Just like That's no. us too. Yeah, I, I, I cannot deal with your project, Ed, which may or may not exist or which may or may not be trying to steal money from people. Um, from your perspective, um, you know, just just broadly, what, what, what do you see going on with the crypto world? Well, I mean, like I'm not a, I'm not a crypto expert by any stretch of the imagination. But when when I took a look at what happened with Terra USD and Luna, and I did a lot of research about this last night just so that I could actually, I don't know, talk about it. Um, <laughs> I it appreciate was, you doing homework. It's it's very what I do. When I started doing a little bit of digging into what was going on with Terra USD and Luna, what really stood out for me was not even just that this feels like a Ponzi scheme. It mm-hmm. it's it was a weird seesaw that felt like it was destined to fall apart. You know, because mm-hmm. everybody moved from one side of the seesaw, which was Terra USD, to the other side of the seesaw, which was Luna, and they were burning Luna or burning Terra USD to get more Luna, and it was like the whole reason why it collapsed is because the seesaw doesn't work anymore because yeah, the algorithm yeah. was broken. So it, it, it's it's very so Luna came out in 2018. Terra USD is a more recent thing um but it it did seem like a way for them to like okay we built this uh this one uh digital currency this seems to be doing pretty well let's like extend the value another way i guess with the stable coin yeah i suppose so it just honestly even just looking into the way the algorithm was built it just looked incredibly complicated and probably <laughs> is a reason why I just don't mess around with cryptocurrency for the most part. We, uh, yeah, we, we are not giving you all any investment advice. In fact, I think the best advice uh, anybody can hear right now is uh, don't, don't touch crypto unless you're like ready to lose something, you know, don't don't put your life savings into it, which is something we've been seeing uh, happening, like a lot of people remortgaged oh houses. Yeah, like, my seriously, house, my everything is uh, is kind of gone to give you an ex- like an idea of how bad things have gotten. Let's talk about Binance. Binance, um, you know, is an exchange that invested $3 million in Luna in 2018. Uh, They had backed in other ways too. As of April, as of last month, that investment was worth up to $1.6 billion. That's billion with a B. Today or this week, uh, it's worth about $2,391. Just uh, So they're doing super well. Yeah. And they're factor. they're they're like taking it in strides, it seems. But it's also like they basically just lost three million dollars, which I feel like something like this is is uh, prepared to. But the idea of losing out on you know over a, a billion and a half dollars because you didn't cash out at the right time is just like that's just like something that makes you want to just sit down and think about you know your place in the universe. It is just like devastating. Yeah, and I think that mm-hmm. the part of the big reason why we're seeing this big ripple effect with regards to what happened with Terry USD and Luna is because it was basically like a run on the banks, right? And crypto's never seen a depression the way that the rest of the economy has seen recessions and depressions and everything like that. But think back to what happened during the Great Depression. It was a run on the banks. Everybody was rushing to get their money out because everything was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And what happened in the Great Recession of, you know, 2008, 2009 with the subprime mortgage crisis, you know, that's all stuff that we we can kind of see being transposed into crypto right now because everybody was rushing to get their money out because they were noticing 
these steep dives that they couldn't explain because unless yeah. you really understand how crypto works, it's just is kind of like this magic thing that sometimes makes you money, but mm-hmm. other times doesn't. It is it is weird how like uh, I mean I, I I remember when Bitcoin you know kicked off in like two thousand nine two thousand I know I hearing do too. about this stuff yeah we we were here we were following yeah. it and to to see like how far things have gotten like I, I think the thing is um if you, if you had invested like a thousand dollars in Bitcoin in two two thousand ten right it'd be worth uh quite quite a lot now I think over a hundred million or something like mm-hmm. some ridiculous amount um let let's talk about like the the broader industry too. Uh, Bitcoin hit its lowest point uh, last week since 2020. Uh, it was worth over $41,000 per coin last month. Uh, as of today, it's under $30,000, which is a huge, huge dip. Coinbase um, also tanked. It's one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, it reported a $430 million quarterly loss last week. Uh, its stock has plunged 82%. It's lost more than 2 million active users. Like that. A lot of stuff. A lot of bad things happening. Amanda, you you focus more on like the NFT side of things, especially how it relates to games. Like from yeah. your perspective, we we've also you know heard about some NFT projects coming, and I think a lot of companies have just quietly uh, backed away from them and pretended like no, those things aren't happening anymore. What are you seeing from the gaming and NFT side of things? Well, I think since you know what happened with Axie Infinity, which is probably the premier or up until fairly recently, was the premier NFT game, the play-to-earn game. Can you give us like a, yeah, basic, like what went down there? Mm-hmm. Sure. So back in April, Axie Infinity was hacked and lost, I think it was like $600 million worth of of its own value because it, ha- it went through this huge hack. Now, I don't really know how the hack itself went down, but it, it definitely became the poster child of this is not nearly as secure as y'all think it is. And NFTs and games are, NFTs just in general, are just losing more and more value, losing more and more in terms of their popularity. I mean, NFTs, like when Anil Dash originally created them, like he he really just wanted it to be protection for artists on the internet. You yep. can mint your it own was, it artwork. It was a little digital art project. Yeah. Like I remember him writing about that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was such a it was such a lovely benevolent way of looking at, you know, taking control of your own IP on the internet so it doesn't get stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you have a way to track it. But it's kind of been it was co-opted by Silicon Valley Bros and turned into investments that and it just was never meant to be that. So let, let's let's tie these together, by the way. So if people don't don't quite understand what's happening, right? So Bitcoin begat the blockchain. The blockchain is a distributed ledger that you know records all the transactions of Bitcoin. The whole idea is that it was supposed to be decentralized. You, you don't have to rely on a bank. You don't have to rely on like federal protections or anything. Uh, and now we're seeing where all that's going. Um, and it bleeds I- borders, right? Like yeah, that was the whole yeah. point is it was supposed to give a, a decentralized currency on the internet Global currency yeah. that would allow people around the world to mm-hmm, partake in mm-hmm. it and not have to worry about, you know, governments mm-hmm. regulating it or governments being like, you can't have that or whatever. And NFTs are the idea that, uh, at least as we know them today, right, they are they're they're basically using a blockchain to link records of ownership. Yes. to digital assets not uh not the assets themselves don't don't i i still don't really fathom how all this is going but the the if you uh research like anil dash's stuff like he wrote about how like oh my god i created nfts and i didn't even realize it 
Yeah, you know, exactly. Because it was during like a, mm-hmm. it was during like a dev jam or something like yeah. that. You know, and it was like I said, it was just meant to be this this thing that he'd originally intended is just for artists to use to take care of their own stuff. And that's kind of how we've ended up in this position. And, you know, tying it back to what's going on with NFTs and games, you know, we had this run on the industry over the last, you know, I guess, six to 12 months where we saw more and more gaming companies, you know, anyone from Team 17, which was, a, you know, an indie publisher to Square Enix, which is an enormous publisher based out of Japan. You know, these are all folks that have have said that they're interested in NFTs and games without actually, I feel, without uh-huh. actually understanding, you know, that some of the bigger issues around NFT, NFTs and uh, the blockchain and interoperability is a really big one. You know, we we heard from the the Forza Horizon Five devs and putting in you know the Halo Warthog into their right, game and what a right. nightmare that was. Can you imagine that for like NFTs and games where you can take you know Master Chief's helmet and go bring it into Fortnite, and the devs have to deal with that somehow? Yeah. They have to figure out how to make all of that work. So it's NFTs, just so easy. yeah, and NF- yeah, exactly. Being a developer is easy. Games are easy. You know, they're not difficult at all. So a lot of the stuff that some of these publishers, because it was publishers, it wasn't really developers that were talking about it, but a lot of these publishers were looking at it as an easy way to make money, as like an an extension of microtransactions and DLC that we see in games, which, I mean, back in the day. More money. It's not hard. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like loot boxes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. That didn't go poorly for the game industry at Mm -hmm. all. No, definitely (laughs) not. Those aren't banned in a bunch of countries in Europe. No. Let's just see what happens. So, you know, tying that back to like what happened with Axie Infinity and that big hack with the whole play to earn structure, you know, NFTs and games are not are not nearly as secure as folks wanted them to be. And they're not nearly as easy to implement as, you know, fans of NFTs want them to be either. Just like ma- sheer magical thinking. Like, guys, exactly. imagine if you can have these uh, an item from one game and you could just bring, bring it to another, another. game. Because and the like, magic of NFTs, sure. I don't, I don't and know. And it's, it's a cool idea. If you think about it, having in-game collectibles that are just for you. Sure. Individualized, unique, yeah. Totally. Like, that kind of seems really neat, right? And but when you really think about it, like taking that interoperability and trying to port that into other games, it just doesn't work because most developers are already under a time crunch anyway. They're not going to want to take somebody else's work and implement mm-hmm. it into their game for no reason because it creates this decentralized power structure within the development process where it's the players that have all the power when it's the developers that have all the expertise. Yep. Yep. This is so this it's whole- just a nightmare. NFTs and games, and also the crypto industry as a whole, has always felt like the uh, the elves from South South Park, right, or the gnomes, like just yeah. Da, step da, da, three, da, da. don't know profit, what step three is. <laughs> profit, basically. Just profit. Matt, it's any, actually any step thoughts two. on this? Yeah, well, I, I was step trying. two is question mark. Step three, step, is, step profit. three is profit. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I was trying to recall Ubisoft's kind of experiments with a uh, ghost recon breakpoint, um, and they say they kind of the kind of skins you've already had in these kind of games just kind yeah. of whipped up into kind of an NFT froth and served to people, and no one was buying it. So, like, no. one of the ones I've got here was the uh, Wolf Enhanced Pants number seventy six. Uh, they sold one of those NFTs. Um, 
So for okay. all that effort of There's eating no crap There's no hunger It's, it's very it. unique. It's very no. unique. It must be worth a lot right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's I, the, I, I think that's the other thing though, right? Is like NFTs inherently don't have any value. It's like, yeah. it's like currency in general. It's not worth anything until you someone tells you it yeah, is. Exactly. And you can translate that to, you know, people who are obsessed with sneakers, they are still shoes. You can still buy some very boring shoes. You know, the intrinsic value is based on the audience. And exactly. it's funny you mentioned Square Enix because they seem so into NFTs for the last year, about you know, about a year, maybe longer. And now they've ditched, they've kind of jettisoned a lot of their West Western studios. So they can redouble IPs their efforts on blockchain, on NFTs. Exactly. Yeah, they, But without they really sold... explaining what that will entail or whether it will be gaming centric or... Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now, honestly. I mean, the the last the, we looked at on virtual economy, we looked at their earnings um, on our last episode, and again, they're just they're doubling down and talking about all the things that they want to do now that they've sold off their three Western studios. So that's Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal to Embracer Group, which is quickly becoming one of the largest gaming conglomerates in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Just a Borg of, uh, of developers. We talked a bit about them, yeah. Um, it, it does seem like every time, especially when these gaming companies start talking about NFTs, it's just... It is purely magical thinking. Like uh, I know for a no, lot of no, people, it's like, greed. You're getting it wrong. It's, it's greed. It's greed and magical thinking, right? Like, it, it is a gold rush, except nothing... For the gold rush, you could be like, okay, I, I go here, I dig here, maybe I find some gold. Like, you get a thing, whereas... It is still mind-boggling to me that we—they're not even sure what it is, except uh, maybe they're. Or you can have a copy like, of an in-game yeah. item, maybe. Maybe it is interesting to see like the crypto industry kind of respond to this too. One of Ethereum's co-founders uh, was basically said like, "Why isn't there FDIC protection <laughs> for, for this?" Like you, you guys, you idiots, have spent the past decade telling us about how awesome and deregulated your entire industry is now. Isn't that what they wanted? This is this is kind mm. of what they wanted. Um, it is interesting though because I know uh, Binance's founder and a bunch of other companies are talking about ways of uh, basically trying to make the smallest investors whole again, like the the people who've lost the most money. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I mean, how can you even figure that out? That's insane. How that's, can you actually it, it derive kind of mm-hmm. how much economic? strength someone had when they bought the coin you can't like i I don't know if it'd be so some of some of these companies like binance has you know has funds and other things too so that you know that uh investment the loon investment was not their only thing they can pull in money from other things but okay if you want to be totally decentralized and yeah you have to also decentralize uh taking care of people after everything collapses and i don't think too many people are going to do that so many people are just going to cut and run do not forget that do kwan um you know the founder of uh of luna and uh and terry usd is the guy who's like um what did he say uh i don't debate the poor i don't debate the poor yeah on twitter so he has spent the past couple years just being a general uh you know general edgelord. tech bro edgelord like everything and sure if you if you make a thing that ends up being worth tens of billions of dollars out of thin air then okay gotta I, love I can, that hubris gotta gotta love it and uh yeah he is basically something I, something I, petard something something <laughs> i think he said uh he he feels bad about the people who've lost money because of his creations now and he's not really said much else so th- things things aren't so great um Matt, you've been, you were asking, you know, so so what does this mean for like normal people in the crypto world? If you're, first of all, if you were, you know, 
lucky enough and smart enough uh, to either avoid it or to ba- you know back out. You some people have made money. Some people may have made a lot of money because they sold uh, at a high point and they, they could just like back out of this market or leave in just a little bit. Um, you've been asking Matt, like, what does this mean for normal people? Um, Manda, just like from your perspective and you like following these markets, uh, any any advice for listeners or people interested in getting into the crypto world or NFT world at this point? Uh, I think that the big advice that I would have to give, and again, I'm not an expert yeah. on this, but for and we, we me are we are not giving actual financial advice. Ooh, this is personal advice. This is life advice. Personal advice. Life yeah, advice. this is just personal advice. Lifestyle advice. We're going to call yeah. it lifestyle advice. <laughs> we'll call this lifestyle advice. Wait. Wait's the big one right now. If you're really, really interested, um, especially in crypto, like crypto's not dead by any stretch of the imagination. It's not going anywhere. It'll be around. It's going through some tough, it's going through a tough spot right now, but wait for cryptocurrency. Get in, you know, if you're if you're confident that the market's gonna go back up, and it probably will, get in when it's low. You know, it's a good time to buy in, but mm. Don't classic, put a ton into it. market advice, yeah. Yeah, just don't put a ton into it. Just see what the market does. If it starts to recover a little bit, put in a little bit more. Um, if you are if you really do believe in it, as for NFTs, just stay away from NFTs. <laughs> just stay don't away let from your them. friends do NFTs. Friends yeah, don't, let friends, don't do let friends do NFTs, especially in video games. You just just yeah. don't do it. And as, That's as, a reference to anti-drug campaigns for you youngins out there. Who, that's right. Not that's, heard oh my that. Gosh. That's so, from <laughs> such a long time ago, but it's totally true. It's from the 90s. Yeah. And I think that the other portion of this is like, for folks that have neither interest in crypto nor in NFTs, I think that, yeah, that definitely fell off a cliff, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm just, uh, for the benefits of the podcast, I'm showing the uh, the graph for Luna and it literally is almost a cliff. vertical line. A fraction vertical of line. a cent. Yeah. But yeah. That, maybe, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to say this in a joking accent so people might take it seriously. It's very cheap to buy now, Luna, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, exactly. Let's try to compare that graph to 1929. Like, we can't do it on the podcast, but just go and look up the price graph for Luna and the price graph for general the general U.S. stock market in yeah. 1929 and see how similar they look. Yep. It's uh, really it's really going to be quite similar if I mm-hmm. if I had to take a stab at that. But in terms of like folks that might not really care about either, the only thing you need to be paying attention to is the way that crypto um, responds to this. And how perhaps it ties into inflation overall. Mm-hmm. I, I think one good takeaway, uh, Ian Bogos, who's a writer I like very much, he writes about games and, uh, and, and technology culture and whatnot. He wrote at The Atlantic a piece that says, the crypto crash feels amazing. And it's <laughs> actually, it actually does so tap cheeky. into this sort of like, um, this sort of schadenfreude we're getting from this. Because it's it's also like, um, he, he talks about like basically uh, pushing his parents away from investing in Netscape in, in the 90s, which would have made the millionaires if they put in like $10,000 into Netscape. Um, he also like had a chance to do Bitcoin and he just kind of didn't. So it, it, he's talking both about that feeling of where I think a lot of people crapping on this tech too kind of feel a bit of jealousy. Like I hate crypto. I don't I don't. I'm sure, it'd be nice to be a paper millionaire, I guess, or a digital millionaire. Um, I, I don't feel too badly about that, but some people genuinely feel like, oh man, I missed out on this boat. Like I, I could be all these well millionaires don't deserve life. to be millionaires. They just got lucky, mm-hmm. and mm, yeah. and now now it's that criticism plus seeing everything collapse, but also being like, oh my god, thank you, that wasn't me. It's like we need a new 
German term for, <laughs> for, for kind of this feeling a lot of people are having. Anyway, this is a really good piece. Um, just It is kind of cheeky, but it, it's it's fun. And I, I don't think he's being too mean to people who've actually lost a ton of money. And I feel really bad for those folks because... Any investment, folks, don't don't throw your life savings into it. Like, no. be be safe. Cryptocurrencies have always been such a risky idea for an investment. Mm-hmm. It's just yep. so high. They were never you know. meant to be an investment. Like, that's the mm-hmm. thing that people don't seem to remember. Like, especially if you don't remember when Bitcoin came out. Like, it was originally intended just as a currency. It was never intended to be invested in. So it's really strange and weird that it's become something, that crypto's become something that day traders invest in, that yeah. stockbrokers invest in, where it was never intended for that. It the was just intended bros, to be a crypto. Yeah. It was just a, it was just supposed to be a currency. The finance bros ruin everything, basically. So <laughs> we, we had to get them into like uh, green tech guys. Let's let's hype up some of that. Some of yeah. the stuff that will actually help us and not like the stuff that is sucking power needlessly from us. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a thing. Creating um, gro- global manufacturing crises, you, you know, know, no big just, deal. Just a bit. No, just a bit. Amanda, have you heard about any, any projects? Uh, the NFT, the, uh, crypto people keep saying like, oh yeah, this coin is not going to hurt the environment as much. You know, we're, we're going to come to a new mining technique that, that is going to be far more efficient. Um, I know that anything? Ethereum was saying yeah. that. that Proof they were... of stake in years. Ethereum. That's, yeah. They've been talking about that forever. For years. For years. Is there, is there actually a good cryptocurrency that you see coming on the horizon or anything or or nfts or anything like people you know something that that doesn't have the the stink of so much of this industry yet i don't i don't even think i can say that with any kind of confidence unfortunately again because i'm not a i'm not a crypto expert as as far as nfts are concerned especially with regards to gaming i mean i we'll see what square enix does with with nfts and and with the blockchain games that they're going to be investing in and starting apparently whole studios around now that they have made (sighs) some bank on Mm -hmm. i mean from my perspective not enough bank considering how valuable that ip is but that's a conversation for another time another time okay well i am looking forward to chatting with you about that in the future amanda uh where can we find your work and uh, yeah what, what else are you working on these days uh, you can find my work at virtualeconcast.com. There's writing that Mike and I do. So Mike Futter and I run uh, Virtual Economy once a week, usually. This week, we're doing it twice. Sometimes we do three times a week, depending on how many <laughs> earnings episodes we have. It's earnings season right now. So that means it's like, I don't know, playoffs in some sport. I'm not mm-hmm. sure which sport, finance I mean, sport. we we also have to deal with that because we we do earnings stories too. So it's always a wave of things we all have to deal with it and gadget as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we covered like twelve different companies on our last episode. I saw that earnings is... episode. It was very. It was a very lot. You guys are them. wild. Oh, yeah, wow. we we go we go when it comes to that. So yeah, you can find that at virtualeconcast.com. We're also available on all major podcasting platforms. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Amanda Farrow. And yeah, that's pretty much me right now. I'm doing a bunch of other like secret projects, but I can't really talk about them yet. Ooh, All right. Intriguing. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda. Chat with you soon. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to some other news. And uh, hey, Acer has a whole bunch of products coming out this week. Uh, they, they had a product event and they, they announced some new laptops, uh, some new gaming laptops. I think the most interesting thing uh, we're seeing from them is their Spatial Labs 
3D, glasses-free 3D technology, which uh, I demoed back at CES a couple years ago. It is kind of a wild thing to uh, to basically look at a screen and have like an object exist in 3D space. It relies on um, like eye tracking and um, like actual real-time rendering and stuff to like make that possible. And they used to show it off for uh, for just like objects, you know, like people who work in 3D uh, design, like maybe occasionally you'd want to like peer around an object, make it feel as if it was real. Uh, sometimes you'd have to like pop on a VR headset to do that, to do that right from a screen. Seems really cool. Uh, what they're doing this year, though, is they're bringing this tech to to more devices. So last year they announced that the Concept D7, they're kind of like high-end, fancy premium notebook is going to be getting that. I don't think that thing was actually released. Uh, I'm pinging them for like reviews of that stuff. They announced this week that uh, uh, that Spatial Labs 3D tech is coming to the Helios 300, a special edition laptop um, that's going to start at $3,400. So a gaming laptop with a screen like this um, that's going to be supported by over 50 games, including, uh, let me just look here, including Forza Horizon 5, No Man's Sky, and God of War. Uh, no Halo Infinite yet, unfortunately. But you can imagine, like, if uh, if you were playing Forza, right, and the, you could actually feel depth in the screen, you know, like, it's like, actually, you were looking like onto the road. That would be kind of interesting. Uh, I would be into playing that. Like, I don't know about you, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'm... I can we try to do 3d gaming already that's what mm-hmm. it feels like it feels a bit mm-hmm. like why is acer all of a sudden the only person <laughs> doing this and like and going really hard as well going so, really hard like so they've know. even unveiled like portable 3d yep. monitors so like little slap you know they look like a tablet and these can also reproduce 3d in 4k and kind of yeah i mean they look really they look really futuristic but i do wonder like a lot of these are gaming things i do wonder like the serious business use case for them i'm just not sure exactly how much you'd want that kind of vague 3d feel even at this kind of resolution whether you, when you like, could just uh, use vr headsets or just 2d images all these laptop companies are like they want to have something special right yeah like one cool thing they're doing in asus what asus has been doing has been like okay we're gonna put two screens yeah on things. you know we're, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be really wild about our designs and acer in comparison i feel like has always been more of a conservative company you know like people like their gaming laptops um yeah, they solid, occasionally solid have some things solid things yeah. they have some wild ideas i reviewed the predator triton 900 a couple of years ago that was the one with the like hinge you know yeah. the screen could like rotate around 360 and it was a complete waste of time um <laughs> i feel like acer has some just really wild people in their design section and the, the company is just like okay let's let's just try this i believe spatial apps is a company they own um sounds, that yeah, technology they right. own yeah. Yeah, it, it always seemed cool. I mean, the idea of glasses-free 3D is really interesting. It may be 10 years too early for that. But uh, you know, from the demo I saw, it, it looked fine. I could see it being really cool for games. Um, I feel like the best 3D I've ever seen was uh, like when I was watching the high frame rate versions of uh, Gemini Man and Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, like Ang Lee's uh, explorations of that technology because they were using... Um, like 120 fps video with 3d glasses uh in 4k and it just looked like i was looking out of a yeah like that's just yeah better representing what our eyes are watching in real life so it it was scary it it was it was genuinely scary because it was like there are just giants in front of me like there's a giant vin diesel talking to me 
uh, in the theater because there was like no separation between the screen and reality. Wow. Um, yeah. It was kind of like, it, it felt like I, I, my palms got a little sweaty. Uh, Are into, we like how real it was? So a, how close were you to a, let's jump out of the train, out of the way of the train. I mean, moment in the I was sitting, I was sitting like uh, in the, in the first section. I usually sit like really close to the screen. So I was like there, I could see every <laughs> I was there, I right see, next to him. I was, I was, you know, in front of Vin Diesel's face and uh, we, we've Not got more thoughts on Vin Diesel. Uh, unfortunately uh helping to destroy the fast and furious franchise but uh, that's a that's a whole other discussion. i was going to that's why i went to ask because i, I you know we've got this other avatar movie on the way mm-hmm. in are we going through another wave of like attempts to sell us 3d screens 3d laptops <laughs> 3d I, I don't know i feel like it's only acer it's only acer and it's only like a handful of laptops they're like guys here yeah is, is this gonna work i don't know it feels a bit like a carnival show also thirty four hundred dollars the starting price for the gaming laptop that is that's way too high that is yes. like a fully specced out razor blade uh, 15 or 17 you know you like you said about you said already <laughs> about the uh, the delicious joy of watching like these uh mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies tank and not having to invest it <laughs> i think a lot of us got the same feeling when we didn't buy 3d tvs well you know for a while we that was kind of the only thing you could buy right like 3d was there it was baked into everything it was 3d before, or like, oled for even more again than the mm-hmm, 3d ones mm-hmm, i think but mm-hmm. then the oled oled people won you know that was and the now right we're we're in like a weird spot too because it's like i i have 3d blu-rays i'd love to be able to see more easily yeah. and my oled tv supports it no it does not support it but my projector my old projector supported i have newer projectors that don't support it like we're yeah. just in a weird quagmire of formats and acer is just like hey guys more 3d let's, let's keep probably with its so. own special acer acer mm-hmm. movie vision 3d.x mm-hmm. or some janky name for why you need to have an acer proprietary mm-hmm. movie file yes it does happen a lot but we'll see we'll see Mm-hmm, did you mm-hmm. see any of these in real life did we get someone to actually stare at i uh i have not seen this one in real life i did to get to take a look at the uh a, a lesser laptop like their acer's new triton 300 se right which is a basic 14 inch um gaming laptop um it looks good they make a good gaming laptop and i feel like over the years reviews for their devices have also become like more steady um i think in general people like them more than the asus gaming laptops it depends uh, build quality is really good. Feels good. Like uh, I feel like you can't. You really have to try to go wrong with a gaming laptop these days. So uh, the one I tested also has an OLED screen. You know, it had an RTX uh, 3060 in it. Feels good. Feels good. Ga- gaming laptops are generally good right now. Uh, you probably find some great deals. So yeah, we're, we're going to keep an eye out on all this Acer stuff. I want to test uh, one of these 3D laptops at some point maybe the monitor we'll be able to test out first uh but we'll see what's up with that uh ben you want to talk about this story um about ice immigration enforcement and basically a, a, a realization recently um a study found that ice basically operates a huge surveillance dragnet where they have a lot of identifiable information around people can you can you give us the basics on that Okay, yeah. So this is really spooky. Mm -hmm. So this is a report from the Georgetown Law School Center for Privacy and Technology, big fancy university in Washington, D.C. Georgetown Law School, of course, known for pumping out lawyers that eventually, you know, will argue cases at the Supreme Court or become lobbyists, high powered folks. Um, This report um, found out that ICE has just a ton of warrantless access to state and local public records in addition to private records. Private 
in the sense of utilities. So when huh. you apply to get a new uh, phone connection or, I guess, cable TV connection at your house, they'll be like, oh, Devendra applied for a new connection in Georgia. He must have moved down there, and they automatically update your address. Here are some of the specific data points. Uh, ICE has access to driver's license data. That means height, weight, general location, even the color of your eyes for uh, 74% of Americans. And then specifically, they have facial recognition data for 32% of Americans just from their driver's license photo. Now, be aware that this data can be used to identify you in other contexts. Right. right. So if your face is picked up on a security camera or something, they can use the same data that they picked up from your driver's license to identify you in a crowd. Spooky. Spooky. Um, Like I said, with utility companies, they know when you've moved and ICE has uh, that sort of data on about three out of four Americans, period. So if you even move inside your city, if you move four blocks, when you apply for a cooking gas um, connection to your new house or apartment, they'll say, oh, you moved. And so now we know exactly where you are. ICE has also contracted with uh, Palantir Technologies, you know, Peter Thiel's big, uh, basically, spy company. Um, They had a huge $189 million contract to custom build a platform that makes it easier to link this information from the public data, your driver's license information, to the private sector data, which is, you know, your utilities stuff. Mm So one might say that this is just benign information that they might have, that they can look you up if they need to. Yeah. But the fact that they have this data without a warrant is the scary part. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. means that they can go and find it whenever they want. I'm always trying to make the case to someone that the obvious next question is, why should I care about this? Right. I'm right. not doing anything illegal. You might not be doing anything illegal right now, but what if something that you're doing right now, hacktivism, uh, um, giving money to certain charities or organizations is made illegal in the future? Mm-hmm. Then they have your information, don't they? We we kind of talked about this around the uh, the sort of like push against uh, Roe and abortion rights in America. Like, one thing we had recommended a couple episodes ago is to uh, use secure communications, guys, because if you are if you're planning to go to an abortion clinic or, or something or you need help um, in certain states that could be used against you down the line, like a, a Texas is basically trying to criminalize things. There have been stories I've seen about like, hey, th- th- this person basically had a miscarriage and they had to go to Walgreens to get the medication to complete the process of what was happening. And they eventually got pushback from Walgreens. Like, are you are you having an abortion? We can't give you this medication. And we, it's just like a crazy state we're living in. So if people had access to information about this stuff, uh, if somebody wants to track you down because the state is being vindictive against it, that is downright 
terrifying and they'd be able to find you easily with a uh yeah identifiable and identifiable database like this um you know what this this doesn't happen in the u.s only matt i, I want to hear what you think because I oh feel yeah like i'm surveilling london is, is well known as like one of the most like uh cctv, CCTV haven yeah it's everywhere you you guys are being followed i, I don't know if there's yeah, central like, databases but yeah i guess i guess from my perspective i guess i think literally how ben was saying like i don't do anything mm-hmm. wrong what's the problem there is that we all, you can also request a copy or of yours it's like a well-known thing for like a decade you can kind of request a copy of any appearances you make in cctv that kind of stuff and that's kind of a well-established thing i know people use it for when their phones get stolen that kind of uh that kind of criminality um what i'm to tennis it back to you in that i don't i don't have much expertise on it what is if this happened in the uk there'd be like repercussions what kind of repercussions can come for this? Is yeah. <laughs> repercussions? Um, yeah, that's a very dark laugh for me because the I know that, like, they're from what I can tell, ICE is skirting around the, all your very weird overlappy systems of federal and state and all that crap you guys love to debate forever. But where does the buck well, stop? yeah, and let's keep in mind that ICE was established and really empowered in that really um, tender time after 9-11 where everyone was like, A, we... a lot of bad decisions were made, yeah. Yes, in that yes, time. many, yeah. many mistakes were made in the name of greater national security. So what is going to come of it? I would expect some congressional hearings. I don't know whether or not that's going to go anywhere. Um, But at least some people will be called up before a panel of senators and made to sweat for three or four afternoons. This also reminds me of like basically everything uh, Edward Snowden revealed too, uh, in regards to like Spectre and like widespread surveillance uh, the U.S. and other governments have been doing. Like it feels like governments want to do this. They have been doing this. This feels like the perhaps the most like... um, concerted and organized effort to to consolidate information around people uh it is wild to me how like normal people just don't have really very little awareness of like what's happening around them also there's these companies with extremely powerful lobbyists yeah um, generating these hugely expensive contracts that you know you guys are paying for Mm-hmm. I know you guys don't mm-hmm. like taxes, but you still have to kind of pay them this way. And hey, we pay way. a lot of taxes. Yeah, but, uh, and even, it's even going to the military mm-hmm. industrial complex, baby. I love it. Uh, but I do remember, I, I've probably told this story before, but when I was running like a 1984 reading group uh, post-Trump winning oh, the oh. election, uh, but I, I was running that group in at the Brooklyn Public Library. So that that was fun. It was, it was good to talk to people. We were all worried. We're all reading 1984. We're like, okay, guys, let's let's prepare for this. And nobody, nobody among the like, 10 to 15 well-read uh you know smart educated they're already like participating in in a brooklyn public library reading group nobody was aware of any of the snowden stuff and that just (laughs) made me feel really really sad i looked around everybody was like guys you're reading about you're clearly you're interested in 1984 you're interested in like how states can abuse their powers and you just never heard the fact remember that, the context you know, of real life and the context of yeah. a fuzzy Brooklyn public reading library reading circle are two very different things. It's some people can things. only people. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, I have my own limits as to how much of yeah. the reality yeah. how much you can take in. I remember, just, like, 
you know, mm-hmm. when you get like the notifications for very serious news on your phone, it's like exclusive. This, you know, yeah. your politician did this very terrible thing, or your prime minister, or your you're president. Like, That's did this a shame. Thing. You're like yeah. blink, blink, and you don't even read it. You kind of log yeah. in that terrible headline and go, okay. Mm-hmm. It just made me feel really sad about like the the work we have been doing, like uh, <laughs> since uh, the Spectre revelation, revelations and everything, like we and gadget have been writing about like some of those things um at other sites i was writing about it too people don't care like the audience that should care about this at least in that self-selected group that i was expecting somebody to um no awareness at all so okay i i hope i hope something comes of this i'm glad um where this is from guardian the guardian reporting based yes. on so Guardian reporting based on the Georgetown report, and this is going to be reported in many other outlets in the next week or I, so. I hope so. so. I hope people are aware. Yeah. Find your favorite outlet. But speaking of government mm-hmm. um, mismanagement, well, why don't you tell <laughs> us about this thing that's happening at the at Homeland Security? Well, real quickly, um, I, w- I was really excited when uh, the the Department of Homeland Security, another, another like post 9-11 invention, right? Like another thing that should should not really exist but did announce that it's going to be having a disinformation governance board to like help combat that idea they're bringing on nina jankowitz uh who is like a very very smart person who's been like dealing with the the world of disinformation and immediately immediately there was like a right-wing effort to uh to basically discount this board uh literally like attack um and you know level threats against uh, nina jankowitz uh she ended up uh resigning from the board basically before this thing even started. And a lot of people, um, people internally were saying that, uh, you know, that, that the Biden administration hadn't, was not prepared to fight against all the misinformation that was being used to attack the misinformation board. And, uh, that sucks. I'm, I'm just having many sighs really here. Um, did you guys see this news? Like, were, were you excited by the idea of having an official disinformation board? even if it's from a not so great agency i'm gonna keep it a buck with you i did mm-hmm. not know this existed until you told me there and you go so there nothing you go. like if i didn't know that it was going to exist mm-hmm. then i'm not so sad that it doesn't exist in the large scheme i would like there to be a government agency that keeps track of all of this craziness online because i think that's really important um I do think that that's actually one thing that individuals have done a very good job of doing. Though, mm-hmm. If you are interested in getting the straight information, a Snopes view of all the craziness going on online, there are four or five people um, out there that and, you know, folks f- who work for Media Matters for America and um, other nonprofits that do a really good job of this already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there was a statement from Homeland Security, by the way. Uh, they, they were saying like there was a lot of criticism that the board would be like policing, uh, you know, language and censoring people. And their statement basically says, uh, uh, you know, the board was intended to ensure coordination across the department's component agencies as they protect Americans from disinformation that threatens the homeland, including the homeland. malicious efforts. Yeah, malicious efforts by spread by foreign adversaries, human traffickers, and transnational criminal organizations. The board has been grossly and in- intentionally mischaracterized. It was never about censorship or policing speech in any matter. It was designed to ensure we fulfill our mission to protect the homeland while protecting core constitutional constitutional rights. And some of that does sound gross, but also a lot of that is like, yeah, 
Have you guys realized that uh, misinformation and disinformation has basically ruled? Have you heard about this place called Russia? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There's 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 still like there's some weird there's some very weird irony that like the head of the board has been taken out by the very thing they're trying to stop happening. It's uh sad. It's it's all very. It's also like weak. What a weak showing by the Homeland Security. We we got nothing. We we have no oh. way to combat this. Oh, they made a threat on Reddit. So oh, I'm out. Oh. Okay, guys, I'm I'm done. I, I'm a little done about dealing with the state of the world. Let's let's just talk about iPhone stuff. Uh, Apple is testing <laughs> USB C iPhones. I will that's not a, stop talking. That's a simple story. Uh huh. I will not stop <laughs> talking about USB C until I have a USB C port myself. I mean, just put we, it on everything. We Jesus. All will. I actually think. Um, who was it? I was when when Apple moved to the Lightning connection. I was on CB CNBC. Uh, it was with Lance with Lance Ulanoff, uh, who who was like editor in chief of PC Mag at the time, and we were just like talking about Lightning and debating it a little bit. And mm. uh, at the time, I was like, guys, USB. We knew what USB C was. It was on yeah. some devices. We were like, Apple should just go there right now. And um, I believe the pushback, like Lance didn't think it was a huge deal, and a, a lot of people don't think it's a huge deal and that was like 10 years ago so if it was fine for 10 years then sure but now most uh most devices you get use USB-C. cars are getting USB-C ports put in every android phone kind of relies on it i so, think some buses um, in london have USB-C. that's like how yeah, widespread it is it's, it's great it's on every um, and like the fact that so many apple products already have USB-C mm-hmm. means there is no excuse yeah you're uh, just being iPads, selfish and want to make money yeah iPads, ipad Macs. airs have USB-C. <laughs> yeah uh yeah so, so many things the apple watch connection is and it's, it's a bit insidious thing. as well because it's still lightning on things like the mouse mm-hmm. The wireless mouse, the wireless keyboard, AirPods, yep. some Beats headphones, yep. there, there's which no were previously plug... micro USB. So it's just yep. there's no easy way to plug your uh, like my iPhone into a Mac right now. Like I have to use a converting in your, cable. Because, in your experience yeah. as well, Devendra, I've found that Lightning mm-hmm. cable contacts are more likely to give up the ghost compared to USB. They're really it's really finicky. They're yeah. really uh, susceptible to dust, and I feel like part of that is because Lightning is a little smaller than USB C. So if like you lose, if like a little bit of lint or something gets stuck up in those cracks, like you gotta you gotta like really yeah. In USB C as well, it's quite a hard like all the mm-hmm. the, the technical tricky bits are inside. Mm-hmm. Like the outside yep. is quite yep. simple and sturdy. Mm-hmm. It's I've never gotten like lint stuck in a USB C port. I it always happens to me on Lightning. Yeah. One thing I learned, if you have this problem, by the way, folks, and if you if you just like have a lightning port that's a little like flaky, like you put you plug in the cable and it kind of pops out. Um, take a toothpick, put yeah. it on like one of those like uh disposable uh lens wipe thingies. So like the alcohol wipe, use that to Dangle fish around. around fish yeah. around uh rather than using the, the toothpick by itself because you could actually harm electronics with that but that because if you use those together you can actually like, pull it out so uh, the apple store did that for me once and i've used it several several times uh so yeah no no surprise to hear that apple may be testing it i feel like uh eu legislation is pretty much going to yeah. force that to happen right matt yeah it's on its way but I, I i swear i wrote about this during my first year of engadget which was <laughs> almost a decade ago so it's a long time coming i long think back time. then USB-C was like a distant thing, but it looked like it could be a good candidate for it. That's how long ago it was. Um, but I think for a lot of people as well, like they, they, people came across Lightning much sooner than they came across USB C, mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. of like you know the iPhone being the iPhone. So it's just, yeah, the USB C is just a more. It just makes more sense. Just it just makes it. more sense. Please, it, just it, let me get rid of funny. a cable. 
it's funny for like the past five years, basically the past decade. Like if you if you want to fast charge your iPhone, you have to use the USB-C brick to lightning cable and everything. And like it's amazing. Apple never really advertises that capability. But mm-hmm. the people in the know, like us and gadget people like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's Use a Mac charging brick with an iPhone cable. And it mm-hmm. is so fast. It's so fast. So ridiculously fast. So anyway, we'll be keeping an eye out for that. Uh, let's let's move on to some news around in gadget. Uh, I want to shout out Billy Steele's review of the Sony WH-1000 XM5. These are their noise-canceling over-ear cans. This is the latest design. It looks more modern than the last few. Uh, We have talked about these headphones a lot on the show. So I love the XM3s I reviewed several years ago. The XM4s were like a nice improvement. This one seems like the design is a little cleaner, I think. like the I hear the sound quality is better and better ANC. They don't fold. And to me, that could be a problem yeah. because if you're traveling with big cans like these like you, you got to fit things into your book bag I th- and i mm-hmm. think um yeah i think that's a a, u- a use case that's not that broad i i, I understand mm-hmm. it and like you know yeah, we've yeah, had yeah. engadget editors have these the, these are the ones you know this is the chosen one when it comes to no- active noise cancellation headphone cans you you get the wh 1000 xms um but yeah like better in every way but even more expensive um but quite competitive like i haven't had cans for a while but i was i've been planning to get the next sony's in this form factor so there's no you, you don't care not about not being them. able to flip down like the ear oh the ear i'll just be i'm not sure if i can use the p word on this but I'll, you can bleep me i'll just be the prick that wears them around his neck all day you, you, you can use the p word and i mean that's fine that, that's one thing you could do too um, I hear uh, the buds don't fold in like before they used to like fold against your chest when you wear them around your ears. Now they can only fold like they only flip that. out. Right. So you have the drivers and everything exposed. Uh, that, that's just one thing, because I've talked to people who really want headphones like these. But if they they're traveling these days, uh, having a giant case in your book bag like just isn't worth it. Uh, I have traveled all around the world with the XM3s. And even that case is pretty big, but uh, it's more compact than the xm5 so they're gonna at keep the same selling. time mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the fact that the fives are coming out means the fours will be cheaper than ever the so. fours will be cheaper they're keeping the fours around as well yeah. so they're going to basically have two lines the fours still fold and sound great like we really like the fours. so if you want to save a bit of money uh get the xm4s if you want to save a lot of money like look for refurbs um i would say go for the fours over the xm3s because uh, those can connect to uh, multiple devices more easily than the threes did so the threes have been kind of finicky in that regard uh but yeah we love these headphones check out billy's review of that uh, matt did you did you want to talk about air fryers i want to talk air fryers because i had to <laughs> try air fryers for a long time yeah baby a bloody story on air fryers <laughs> So what would you like to know about air fries? What can uh, I fry? Can which fry which fries good? Which tastes best? Uh, you, you looked at, I see Ninja, Kosori, the instant one. Instant. I also cho- uh, I also mm-hmm. got one of the, the Philips ones. So the Philips are the first company to kind of make a pod mm-hmm. out of it and kind of make it a vaguely sexy gadget. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of Philips' fault we're dealing with all these air fries right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I'm so I still have the Ninja. The mm-hmm. one, uh, it's a Ninja Foodie. Um, it's a kind of a dual air fryer. So you have two different drawers, which means you can kind of cook a, a protein with a carb or oh, veggies. Oh, yeah, that's nice. And, you can, so that's quite nice. have and like can, a whole chicken on one side. And yeah, just saw it in other. half, yeah. <laughs> Although, like, despite the size of the thing, and it looks like, um, uh-huh. do you remember, like, uh, fax printer scanner combis mm-hmm. where the top goes Yeah, it looks up. like a multifunction printer. Yeah, yeah. it's the, the, that's, that's the energy it's putting out. Um, huh. 
but the, 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 it's very intuitive. The dial kind of flicks between the modes. So you can set one to go, set the other one to go on a timer, adjust mm-hmm. the timing, adjust the temperature. It's not um, that expensive. And, it's only 230 bucks. It's not no, bad. and they're getting cheaper and cheaper. And like yeah. the cheapest ones, I think Circle, like the Cossary is like a well-regarded cheap one. And you get, mm-hmm. if you just live like just one or two of you and you mm-hmm. have a small kitchen workspace, which I think are crucial kind of buying mm-hmm. factors with this get the kasori one and yeah you'll have a thing that you don't you don't have to heat up an oven for do you uh use these regularly like were you using them before you were doing this no guide? so this was so yeah i got them i was tempted by them so then i decided to mm-hmm. use work to try them um, <laughs> Just try them all yeah. yes <laughs> so yeah uh, i don't really f- fry that much food i have an oven already but mm-hmm. it, i'm not sure if you've heard but our own, we have our own cost of living crisis here in the uk yeah especially energy bills so mm-hmm. there's a kind of other factor to it in that these use so much less energy, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're not if you're using gas powered like um, cooking devices mm-hmm. and stuff like this is in the UK. This is already so much yeah. cheaper if you're going to use these. It's a smaller space to heat up. It's much more energy efficient. Um, and yeah, like discovering really good like things to cook in them, like uh, gyoza. Just get one mm-hmm. of those olive oil sprays, a little spritz of that uh, frozen gyoza. Froze up, yeah done in you know minutes and it is quick um mm-hmm. i still haven't got it down for things like uh chicken and fish you have to just be a bit more meticulous about checking you know temperature you, you can always get um, a meat thermometer and that have you compared thing. them to like toaster the good toaster reference so there's some really fantastic ones that also have a kind of high convection, convection. mode which and is that's yeah. kind of where i am right now like i have a, a breville like really nice convection yeah. breville toaster oven i use that thing every day because it is you can it cook do, everything it can it cook can cook everything. everything it can bake everything it's yeah. less and i don't have to like heat up my whole gas stove and everything so yeah Hey, folks, if you if you want to cook more for yourself, any of these things would be great. Um, and we it, it doesn't do like the super fast heating that the air fryers can do. Uh, we also got the like uh, we got the lid for the instant pot that can do that. So oh, no, like this is yeah, no, this is the more dedicating instant. Yeah, these, air fryer. these are yeah. the full the full ones. Oh, you've got uh, the you've got the lid I have yourself. the lid. Ah, I right. have the lid for an instant pot that also does yeah. air frying. I don't like how loud it is. Um, it is very loud. It is like a very intense thing happening. Um, <laughs> but hey, there are a lot of great cooking uh, gadgets out there. I think we'll probably do a toaster oven thing at some point. Uh, if you're buying a toaster oven, folks, make sure it's convection because convection, yes. that's thats the like, uh, it's just a fan that recirculates heat, but that is the pure magic. Behind. So many of the air fryers um, are just convection yeah. ovens just done all they like, are. at higher mm-hmm. capacity, higher aggression. But I, I, I do accept the fact that, ovens. yeah, uh, they're angry convection ovens that cook really fast. Like I think of like the Back to the Future 2 scene yeah. where <laughs> like just making pizza really quickly and stuff um air fryers a good convection oven those are like the closest things we have to that right now and i have to feed a toddler i'm soon gonna have to feed you know a, another like i have to feed yeah. uh, make food for a baby and a toddler and my wife is like our whole family so this thing has been super super helpful um but yeah thank you it's Matt, so quick for... it's so <laughs> yeah like my my main my major kind of discovery from them was just how incredibly quick they mm-hmm. can cook things um and and i know yeah, you're you're a healthy that. eater too right so this is better be. than frying yeah normal, i try to right? be um like i don't eat fries that much like i always have some in my freezer but yeah again incredibly good at cooking fries but we all know that that's literally <laughs> why air fryers are a hit it's because people like eating fries yeah um, yeah and and so many one. things like fry all the things. I mean, I feel like it's America. It's just America's love of frying that's doing it. And also, <laughs> frying things, actually frying things, is terrifying and scary. I don't. You're going to burn yourself. I the don't room, want a your of whole, oil. Your home no. is going to stink forever. It's gonna you stink have to get forever. rid of the oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you got to do everything uh, i i did one of the first things we did when we moved into this house is like put it put in like an actual range fan that exhausts and that has made cooking and cooking curry and everything all so much better just real quick i'm going to be reviewing the acer predator triton 500 se 
cool looking gaming laptop it's 15 incher um don't have much to say on it yet it looks very nice as we've said acer has made, been making good stuff matt what do you, what are you doing hey so i'm wrapping up a few stories that um i've already talked about on the podcast before so i don't mm-hmm. want to mention them again because it makes me look lazy i'm not um <laughs> but one of the things that is you're very up, busy matt i'm so let's busy make all it the so time. clear yeah. yeah um but one thing that's coming around is actually getting back into getting back on the saddle uh for e-bikes um mm-hmm. so there's a few interesting ones coming up um I'm really intrigued in these ones that kind of offer a service for you to track the bike if in case it gets stolen. Like oh, obviously that's good. these these cost mm-hmm. a premium though. It is again the curse of the subscription service. But in cities like New York, London, San Francisco, like mm-hmm. my biggest fear is it getting stolen for so sure. So you rent the bike and it includes like tracking. So you, you buy for the bike, you buy the okay. bike and then I think there is ones that do that as well. Yeah. But yeah, you buy the e-bike and then pay I, I can't recall off the top okay. of my head, but yeah, okay. a nominal fee each month. And then they it's literally like on have star bike for, for your bike, basically. Yeah. yeah, I think the New York Times did a story on it. We should probably mm-hmm. do something similar ourselves. But yeah, New York Times had a story where I think they followed a gang of bike hunters from like Van Moof or uh, one of the mm-hmm. other major mm-hmm. ones. Uh, but yeah, so I'm looking to get maybe a cowboy e-bike in. Um, they've got, cool. they're on C- C- series four at the moment. Um, again, more efficient, more stylish. They're just, they're always getting better and better, um, lighter um and yeah it feels like a great time to have an e-bike to be honest like we all want to we all still planning to escape our house you have uh do you have a normal bike matt i did and then i didn't use it because i didn't want it to get stolen again yeah yeah. going back to the original point uh, i feel in any city so an e-bike is better for that the more expensive battery power (laughs) well no because i have my bike hunters uh, bike hunters capital b capital h yeah um (laughs) capital h capital h all right, let's move on to our picks for the week. I just really want to quickly shout out uh, Bell, the new movie from Mamoru Hosoda. Uh, I reviewed this over at the Filmcast at our, at our, in our After Dark episode. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. It's it's not a perfect movie. I think Hosoda, I'm still like, I, I've liked his movies. I think Summer Wars is still his best movie. I've been following this guy since Digimon, you know, since Digimon <laughs> the movie. Um, he is a really interesting guy when it comes to like representing the digital world. And Bell is sort of like a modern slash um, meta meta verse look at Beauty and the Beast. It's sort of like a retelling of Beauty and the Beast in that respect. It's beautiful. It's a great film with some great like uh, J-pop songs. Um, I feel like it collapses under the weight of his melodrama by the end. Have you seen this, Matt? I haven't. No, it's actually... It was- there's been a kind of a, an anime festival and it's, it's the main it's kind there. of, yeah. it's the temple film for it. See but, it in a um, theater if you can, because it's, it's a gorgeous film. Uh, they actually brought in like, uh, Hosoda worked together with like an Irish animation studio. So like he's bringing in different styles, um, like the architecture of this metaverse looks really cool too. He worked with like an actual architect from, uh, you know, from I think America and Belle herself. Belle is like a, a Disney designer you know design the actual character so there's like a lot of like interesting uh collaboration going on here overall it's about a girl who who's going through a lot and finds herself in the digital world uh i think it was really cool i just wish uh you know it has some issues so not, not a perfect film matt what are you up to so uh late to the party um i finally saw uh, everything everywhere woo all the time or whatever it is all yeah, at once all at once all at once and it, it was so good i knew i was going to love it and it kind of totally delivered there's so many i don't want to spoil anything but it's so fun and it it veers in so many directions so often that there's a bit of like whiplash to it all but i i was totally up for it um i don't think michelle yo can just do make any step wrong to be honest uh when she, i grow she up she can't do anything i want to be yeah. yeah when i grow up i want to be michelle yo 
Um, yeah, absolutely <laughs> incredible film. So uh, yeah, this is kind of indicative of this. Like, it's a wider launch now. It's been in the US for wasn't it March? It came out. Mm-hmm. It's been um, here for a while. And it's yeah. tricky because A twenty four, which is the production company, they in the UK at least, they do need help to distribute it here, which I think is true of a lot of other countries. But hopefully, if there's enough interest at this early kind of launch week, they hopefully will roll it out wider. Um, according to another, a, a lot of the other UK editors at Engadget, it is appearing in their local cinemas, so that's a good sign. But yeah, so much fun! Like the action's good. There's like, you know, there's emotional beats to it. Um, Davinja's already talked about it once. So, on this podcast, so like freaking inventive too. Like, just, yeah, there's so much smart. happening. It's so once. smart in like, so oh, many man. ways. There's the so much that I want to say about mm-hmm. this movie, yeah. but. I don't feel like I can because I <laughs> oh, want oh my god, the actors who... they use as well. Like mm-hmm. it's that kid from the Goonies is a husband, Goonies, yeah, and aka uh, Short Round, yeah, and the drag that terrible Dragon Ball movie. The protagonist, he's in it as well. <laughs> and oh my god, just yeah, so many incredible, like so well cast, like but looks like, amazing, sounds the amazing. People in the movie like yeah. i want to be able to say so much else about it that yeah. i don't feel like i can because mm-hmm. one it might not make sense to mm-hmm. someone who hasn't <laughs> yeah, seen it yeah that's true and two i think that you should go into this movie as blind as possible yeah just go see like, it. When it, when it, in order to understand it, you might need to know that it's a multiverse movie. But other than <laughs> that, just like l- let yourself they, go for the ride. They explain that this, part pretty succinctly as well, which is nice. I was talking with someone just yesterday about mm-hmm. this. And last year was the big Hollywood push of like, let's get b- people back to the movies. You know, maybe uh, James Bond was going to get people back to the movies. Other big, loud uh, huge properties would get people back into cinema. Spider Man, I think, yeah, Spider Man. I think that this movie is really the sort of thing that you should go to the movies for the first time in two years if you haven't been to the movies since the pandemic. See this in a theater. It needs to be slightly overwhelming. You need to be enveloped by this in order to, be to yeah. truly get it. Yep. It's also uh, the the box office returns for this movie have been like astonishing, like for a small indie movie, like it has barely dipped since it's been released in America. So that's a sign like it's getting good word of mouth, like people keep going back. I would if I had time, I would love to go back and see it again. Right now, I'm just waiting for it to hit VOD so I can watch it with my wife. Uh, but yeah, incredible film. I'm glad you liked it, Matt. And yeah, everybody out there, be sure to check it out. Anything else you want to mention, Matt? Uh, what else am I loving at the moment? Um, nothing that I'm loving. I did want to mention, we, we're going to kind of circle back to this, but mm-hmm. uh, celebrities are suddenly silent on NFTs and crypto, which is <laughs> Kel Supreme. You, you mean um, all the celebrities that were that were paid to promote crypto don't, don't actually? All so your heroes. So your actual pick is Schadenfreude again. Again! Uh-huh. <laughs> again. That's just Matt. Matt Schadenfreude Smith. Yes. <laughs> our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at, at Devendra on Twitter and at the Filmcast podcast at thefilmcast.com. Matt, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at that Matt Smith. That's Matt with one T. And I'm also a little bit more busy on Instagram, which is just what I said, but take out all the vowels. It was a terrible decision, but I can't reverse it now. <laughs> so confusing. You, you've ruined your brand, man. Why? Why did you do that? You can email us at podcastingadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Be sure to stay tuned for our interview with the folks behind Love, Death and Robots, Tim Miller and Jennifer Nelson. That's going to be coming up soon.
Now let's move on to our discussion with Tim Miller and Jennifer yeah, Nelson, who both work on the show Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Uh, Tim co-created the show with David Fincher. Jennifer yeah, Nelson um, has directed uh, some pieces. She did Pop Squad last season, which is incredible. And she helps to lead the rest of the show as well. Now, these are both very, you know, experienced uh, people in Hollywood. Tim had directed the Deadpool movie. He also directed Terminator Dark Fate, which is a very good Terminator movie. Jennifer has done Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3. And, uh, you know, she's done a bunch of work across uh, that entire series. In our interview, we talk about what they're trying to accomplish with the series. You know, Love, Death, and Robots is a very uh, mature spin on animation. So they give us a sense of what that is, um, you know, some future projects they'd like to work on as well. And we chat about the state of animation in Hollywood as well. It turns out uh, people still look down on animation. They don't think it's mature enough. So check out our discussion and be sure to check out Love, Death, and Robots Season 3. It is dropping today, May 20th. So thank you guys so much for joining us on the Engadget podcast, uh, Tim and Jennifer. My first question for you is when I try to talk about the show to people, I have a hard time kind of like describing what it is. In a nutshell, how would you guys describe Love, Death, and Robots? Controlled chaos. <laughs> buffet, a buffet of adult animation. A buffet of adult not a Not a, like Howard Johnson's buffet, but a, you know, maybe a Four Seasons buffet kind of and uh, I mean, I feel I felt that from the first season too. like you guys were definitely aiming at something mature, um, you know, like growing up, I felt like animation had a hard time being taken seriously as a medium. I loved anime as a kid, too. I watched Spawn, too, in the 90s. So it's like I am fully committed to the idea of animation as a mature medium, but it still seems like culture is kind of getting there. Do you guys think like we've progressed over the past few decades or are you guys still trying to make that point here with the show? We've definitely progressed. Everyone that works in animation has been talking about trying to get more adult things done because it's freedom of exploring the whole spectrum of storytelling. You're not trying to do things for a certain age group. And to be able to do that and to be on the same footing as a lot of the live action productions is something that's been a dream for everyone. It's just that the market, like the audiences, or at least we're told the audiences weren't necessarily there, but everyone wanted to do that. I think it takes a show like this to prove that it can't. And that makes the whole business, the whole, the whole company town basically look around and say, oh, this is a viable thing that people actually want to see. And the more people see it, the more we are allowed to make it. I also think you can't deny the effect of video games, um, which are essentially, you know, interactive animation. And we've had a whole generation now who have grown up playing adult video games and seeing adult animation, essentially, uh, through an interactive medium. And I think that makes people a lot more comfortable with uh, storytelling in that in that format than, than maybe they were before when it was strictly the province of Saturday morning. Gotcha, gotcha. I remember uh, right after the Oscars this year, um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller like wrote a great piece about you know the industry needs to take this seriously too. Are you are you guys kind of like aligned with what they're saying basically? Because I still feel like even when it was introduced at the Oscars, right, it was a little belittled as as the Oscar category. It definitely was something that I think people who don't know as much about animation or aren't fans of animation may just fall back on what is the old perception of it. But really, animation has grown so much and reflects the taste of the people making it and the people that are watching it. It's a generational shift. 
people demand a certain level of complexity in their story. And so it's not princess movies anymore. Do you it's find just... yourself kicking ass in, the, in those <laughs> academy? Jen's in all these academy meetings, right? Uh-huh. She's represented. Can't talk about it. She's oh, represented. Yeah, she I'm should be. talking about the show. She should be kicking <laughs> it, it is funny to see, like, now we are seeing um, animation shows from people who grew up watching these shows. I've just been recently rewatching. I'm watching the, 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 the DuckTales reboot that's on Disney XD from people who clearly love that show, but also has very mature mediums and everything. So I find that fascinating. Um, love to see that. If, if there was one like classic series that you guys could reboot, uh, do, you, do you have one in mind, like Locked and Loaded as your dream project? Oh my gosh, classic series. Oh man, Johnny Quest was a big one for me. Ooh. Um, I actually worked on the same show. Yeah, I, I, did, I did work a little bit on, on, yeah. on the reboot, but it wasn't the same. As, it, wasn't. it wasn't the same as the original. <laughs> Um, Ultraman was a live action series, although, you know, it had a lot of stop, well, not stop motion, go motion or whatever they called that sort of men in suits with the yeah, stomping on motion. the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that was a huge one for me too. Well, I used to watch the GI Joe cartoons when I was little, and I think that was part of the reason why I wanted to kill team kill. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. Yeah. see that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the cartoons and take it to the next level speed racer was a big one mm-hmm. but that one's been done already yeah. it's been done but and also in- that movie is basically a cartoon too so it's i love it because of that you know yeah but can you imagine if you could do it in in, in high-end 3d now that'd be, be pretty, that'd be I, would, pretty I would love to see it uh speaking about this show specifically like what what makes a love death and robot short like are you guys like aiming for specific themes every season or is it just whatever is cool to you that pops up there is no theme. I think it's a matter of whether it gives you that feeling, that sort of nerd joy. That's mm-hmm. kind of it. Jen says the feelies. The theme is there is no theme. Um, but but I, I do like to choose something that I, you read it and you go, oh, fuck, I want to see this, right? It's got <laughs> some scope to it. Um, it's got some pathos or some emotion that um, is meaningful. And, and you just kind of feel like it would be a good visual story. Every once in a while, somebody brings something that, that said, oh, what about this? And it's very cerebral and in your head. And it, those, those kind of things don't necessarily work. But then you get a, a story like Very Pulse of the Machine, a survival story of, uh, you know, one woman against um, impossible odds. And then you throw in the science fictional twist and it's just fucking great, you know? Excellent. Excellent. And I want to say, talk about feelings that uh, both of you, I think made uh, some of the, some of my favorite episodes, like uh, was it um, pop gen is uh, pop squad, pop squad. Incredible. Like I, I have a new baby right now and I'm just thinking about that idea of what we would do as a society. And uh, yeah, I can't get the buried giant out of my head too. So both of you guys doing incredible stuff. Oh, thank here. You. Yeah. Yeah. I love the like swift narrative potential of these shorts. Um, is there any like potential for any of them to become features or become series? Like, is that something that could happen down the line? I think there's certainly a possibility of it, but right now we're focusing on making sure that each short is the best short it can be, but they do suggest larger worlds and it really depends on the characters and the stories. And sometimes these authors have already written other stories within these worlds. Or they, or there's novels like in the swarm, there's a schismatric novel in um, in uh, Sunny's Edge. There's the Peter's uh, Night's Dawn trilogy. It comes out of there. So there is there is larger worlds um, 
that, that these these characters and these stories come from, that it would be great to tell someday. I think we love the short form and that's kind of what the show is, but it really was always meant to be an incubator. And if something strikes a chord with people, we could expand it into something more. We just yeah. need a few more days in the week. Um, <laughs> Jennifer needs to clone herself uh, and and so, then we'll get on with it. Some of these shorts take two and a half years, so. Yeah. <laughs> Last question for you. Um, are you guys looking at the show as also a way for these studios to try out new things technologically? I know a lot of people are really interested in uh, real-time animation. There are a whole lot of new engines that people are exploring too. Like, is this kind of a test bed for the industry as a whole? Definitely. Um, for Vaulted Halls and Tombed was done in Unreal. Um, and it was done at a point where it was slightly experimental. And so I think it was a back and forth with the engineers, which was amazing that they could actually have that freedom. But yeah, and it was, as you just su suggested, Jerome Chen, who's a VFX supervisor at Sony, did it specifically. He's like, hey, I, I want to use this to, we want to build a new pipeline in Unreal, and we're going to use this short to, to do it, um, which, which, is which is bold um, and also painful, uh, <laughs> but rewarding at, at the end of the day. Uh, and, and, you could, and, and it's a great way to sort of push the technology. I know that we often use projects. We'll focus on a specific thing like the facial animation rigs or improving the mocap workflow or things like that. And I feel like the best um, artists and technical innovators in the industry take those opportunities to really push it forward. And, and you can always focus on one thing and make it better. And then everything sort of uh, inches up in quality as you go along. The tech doesn't replace the art. But the, the experimentation allows often these studios to sort of find ways of doing things better. So it, it's freedom for all these different studios to try their own way. Hey, don't you think, though, at some level, it almost becomes the tech is the art and they somehow mix together? That's what I'm thinking about, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah the best artists can make art with a, with a stick. It's true, but the, if you want to tell photorealistic stories, you need a certain level of technology that, I mean, you, I can see a tech trick sometimes and I just go, holy fuck, that looks amazing. Why? Yeah. It looks so much better than it did before. And it helps the storytelling. I don't know. It's, it, it's all, <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the reason I fell in love with computer animation was because of that nerdy feeling like I'm working in the future vibe that you get from that particular form of art, but I agree. It's, mm -hmm, it's everything. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I think our time is up. I'd love to chat with you guys longer about this, especially the tech and art angle. So hope to chat again. Thank you so much, Tim and Jennifer. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Bye.